Oh, I cannot go to heaven. To hell I must go. Murderers don't go to heaven. Hell is where I'm bound to go. Hi, Curious Listener. Welcome back to Corn Fed Killer. I'm your host, Michelle O'Dell. The case I have for you today is a doozy, ladies and gents. (laughs) And like last week's case, it is a gruesome axe murder. So once again, all the trigger warnings. This is a brutal and bloody crime. Unlike the Velisca case from last week, however, this one is not unsolved. I know you're relieved to hear that. It always makes us humans feel a little better when we at least know who the monster is, right? In this case, the monster behind the brutal murder might surprise you. Let's go back to the year 1897. On the morning of Friday, April 23rd, Alfred Haney left for his work as a laborer in the town of Williamston, Michigan, a small town, a safe town. His wife, 32-year-old Martha, and his 80-year-old mother, Mariah, were in the house that day. And although Alfred knew that the two women didn't really get along and that Martha had been having her struggles lately, he did not expect that he would arrive home that day and discover a most gruesome sight. Alfred's daily routine during the weekdays when he worked was that he would return home from work to eat lunch that his wife Martha would prepare for him. Then he would go back to work and then return home in the evening. When Alfred arrived home for his lunch that day, on the plate on his plate in the dining room or yeah, in the dining room on the dining room table was his mother's severed head. Let me say that again. On a plate at his place at the table sat his mother's severed head. Next to the plate lay silverware. A fork on one side, knife on the other. The table had been neatly set, as if thus was any normal afternoon. On the floor nearby lie the remainder of his mother's body, engulfed in flames. Alfred looked round for his wife, and he found her sitting quite calmly, covered in blood, in the couple's bedroom. He screamed at her something like, Martha, what have you done? And ran out of the house to alert the authorities. When they saw Alfred, neighbors rushed in to try to put out the fire. And Alfred returned with police. They found Martha outside in the backyard, still wearing the bloody clothes, frantically, maniacally, digging a hole with her bare hands. Authorities handcuffed Martha Haney and took her to the county jail. Ingham County Sheriff John Reel arrived, along with deputies, on the scene. They discovered the murder weapon, 
an axe underneath the back steps, covered in blood. Sheriff Reel organized a coroner's inquest, and it was determined that 80-year-old Mariah Haney had been struck in the head with the axe, which likely knocked her down, and that Martha had then hacked and hacked at the old woman until she had de decapitated her. Meanwhile, doctors interviewed the murderess at the jail. She indicated to them that her mother-in-law, Mariah, and her husband, Alfred, were abusive to her. She said that they were mean to her, hit her, yelled at her, and were trying to get rid of her. She indicated that she was in fear of them. Now, curious listener, there is no evidence of this as far as I could find in any of my research. So, if that was true, we do not know. According to Martha, the morning of the murders, she had removed a picture of Mariah's dead husband from its frame and replaced it with a picture of her own children. And a violent argument ensued. Now, neighbors corroborated this account. They had heard Mariah and Martha arguing that morning, screaming, yelling at each other. One neighbor said that he had seen Mar Mariah run out of the house, screaming and yelling with Martha tailing right behind her. Then the pair went back inside and continued yelling at each other. Now, neighbors didn't think too much of it because this was a pretty common occurrence. It was well known that the women did not like each other, and they often argued. Martha said that during this argument that she had just lost it and struck her mother-in-law with the axe. She said that her own mother, who was dead, instructed her to do it, told her she had to do it. Well, this statement, of course, concerned the doctors, as it was clear to them that Martha truly believed that her dead mother had indeed spoken to her, that Martha had seen her. In fact, they learned that Martha had a history of epileptic seizures, and doctors believed that these seizures, or fits as they were often termed, may have caused damage to her brain, and thus her sanity. Furthermore. According to Alfred, Martha had been exhibiting odd behaviors in recent days and seemed increasingly detached from reality. He had actually planned on taking her to the doctor that day. He was going to miss work that Friday and take her to the doctor. But that morning, she had seemed better and insisted that he not miss work. And so he decided he would go to work and take her to the doctor the next day. While in the jail cell, Martha could be heard singing a little ditty. Oh, I cannot go to heaven. To hell I must go. Murderers don't go to heaven. Hell is where I'm bound to go. <laughs> so you might recognize that from the intro. Creepy, right? Fucking creeptastic. It, can you imagine sitting in that police station 
which actually I think was actually a town hall building with a jail cell in it. They didn't have a police station in Williamson at the time because it was such a small place um, as far as I could see. Um, Anyway, could you imagine hearing her singing that over and over and over and over and over and over? Uh, Really haunting, really haunting. All right. So April 28th, just a few days later, Martha was arraigned before Judge Person on the charge of murder. And of course, as with any arraignment, she was asked, how do you plead guilty or not guilty? And Martha was whimpering and she muttered that she had killed her mother-in-law, but that she had to do it. Nevertheless, the judge ordered that a plea of not guilty be entered into record. He elicited the opinions of three doctors who had examined Martha Haney. All three concurred or agreed that she was indeed insane. Mrs. Haney was not at all fit to stand trial. She could not understand the charges, the proceedings, nothing. She could not be instrumental in her own defense. So in that sense, she, she could not be expected to participate in a trial. She seemed very much removed from reality. Judge Person ordered that she be committed to the Michigan Asylum for Insane Criminals in Iona, Michigan for an indeterminate amount of time. Martha Haney would never leave the asylum. On May 5th, about a week after Martha had been arrested and had arrived at the asylum, she suddenly seemed to be aware that she was locked up and she started screaming that she wanted out, that she wanted to get away. The staff of the asylum, of course, denied her, trying to explain that she could not leave, that she was being held for murder, that she was deemed insane. This refusal led her into a rage. She screamed and thrashed and clawed. She tore at her hair, pulling out clumps. She chewed her tongue. Clearly, poor Martha was indeed insane. Now, even though this incident happened, authorities would say that she was not a troublesome patient while she was there, but that she was indeed insane. Now, curious listener, let's talk a little bit about insane asylums like the Michigan Asylum for Insane Criminals during this time, back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, just so we can get a kind of an idea of what we're dealing with here or what Martha Haney would be dealing with. First of all, these facilities were massive and still most were overcrowded and housed adults as well as children. And yet the patients or inmates, as they were mainly referred, had no privacy. It was common practice for nurses, doctors, workers to strip the patients down often and in front of other patients to check for diseases and parasites. 
Likewise, patients generally slept in rooms with as many as 10 other patients. Worse, still curious listener, were the methods of treatment common in such facilities of the time. At this particular time in history, branding was common practice. And yes, it is exactly what you are thinking. Like a rancher might brand his cattle, people were branded with hot iron pokers. The reason being that the pain of the brand might shock them into their senses. Another common method of treatment was called spinning. No, 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 curious listener. Not what we call spinning, which is, you know, riding an exercise bicycle. Spinning was done by strapping the patient to a bed or table and spinning it round and round, or by strapping them to a rack suspended in the air that was then spun round and round. The idea behind this was that it would induce vomiting and perhaps expel their inner demons, or that it might rearrange their brains. Okay. Talk about insane, <laughs> right? I mean, that is just crazy. But it, it, it shows us that at this time, there was very little known about mental illness, what it was, how it presented itself, and what treatments could be effective. They were basically just, you know, throwing shit, at, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what would stick. You know what I mean? Just trying everything. Even worse were primitive methods of electroshock treatment, and this practice would routinely cause injury and even death. Lobotomies were also performed and gained a lot of popularity as we went into the 1900s, particularly in the 1930s, 40s, 50s. Lobotomies were kind of normal at places like this. And a lobotomy, in case you are unaware, is when holes are drilled into a person's skull and brain tissue is removed and connections between different parts of the brain are severed. What? <laughs> um, you can only imagine the sort of damage that this kind of thing caused. It would cause paralysis, speech loss or speech issues, uh, memory issues, lapses, unconsciousness. It would cause seizures, um, a myriad, a myriad of things. And of course, death. Now, we cannot know for sure what treatments Mrs. Martha Haney underwent at the asylum in Ionia. We just don't know. There are not um, records where we can look and see exactly what was done to her or what kind of quote unquote treatment she received. However, curious listener, I think we can be sure that her stay there was unpleasant. Martha Haney died on September 24th, 1898. So just over a year after she was sent to the asylum. Now this definitely gives me pause and leads me to believe that her stay there was incredibly unpleasant, unsanitary, unhealthy. 
because this was a 30-year-old or 32-year-old woman, healthy, young woman, and she dies only after a little over a year, her cause of death was listed as thysis, which is a type of pulmonary tuberculosis, um, also called a wasting disease or a consumptive disease. Um, consumption was what we would now call pneumonia. And a wasting disease is basically like the patient would waste away, grow thinner and thinner until this person could no longer survive. And again, I suppose it's possible that she contracted tuberculosis and died so quickly, you know, but I don't think this would have happened to her had she not been sent to the asylum, right? Um, she could have caught it and died so quickly because of the poor conditions at the asylum. I can only imagine that being you know, making sense to me. Um, now Martha Haney, she did commit a brutal, brutal murder and, and disgusting and, uh, you know, displayed a severed head of her family member, her mother-in-law, her husband's mother on a plate where he could see it and then lit her body on fire. Yeah, this is incredibly disgusting and depraved, but this case to me is so sad, just sad, because it's clear Martha was suffering some sort of mental illness. Looking at it now, on what we know now, I would say it was some kind of schizophrenia, um, maybe a paranoid schizophrenia, something like that. She was clearly having hallucinations, delusions, and, you know, was out of touch with reality. And it makes you wonder if Martha Haney had been born in this time instead of that time, maybe she could have been medicated. Maybe she could have undergone cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, or intensive, um, therapy and she maybe could have been okay. So it's just really sad. I think, you know, obviously, um, we don't, or I don't condone what she did and it's horrific and she deserved to be punished for it, no doubt. But, you know, it's just sad that it's clear that she was suffering and because of the time period and the lack of knowledge about mental illness, we, she just could not receive and did not receive, you know, the treatment that she should have. All right. We are going to end there for the week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find photos and whatnot on the Instagram page at cornfedkillerpodcast. And you can send me an email at cornfedkillerpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, curious listener.